Good afternoon. This is Dr. David back with another episode of the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast. I've got a really, really, really exciting guest here today, and I don't say that lightly. And part of the reason why I'm really, really excited about him is his story, his journey, all the things that he's taught his clients and his patients. And I have to tell you, the most, the thing that I'm really, really most impressed about is this guy, this doctor is a thinker. And I have to say that I'm kind of biased because, you know, during college, as many of you know, I triple majored in biology, philosophy, and psychology, and I double minored in in chemistry and sociology. But I have to say, I love thinking and I love philosophy. And when I meet someone who embodies all of that, it just really gets me excited, enthused, and fired up. So I'm really, really excited about learning from our guest today. A lot of the things that he's an expert in are things that I'm learning about and that I'm interested in. In particular, one of the first things that I gathered from reading about him was his ability to go from the micro or the microscopic to go to the macro and that's in the big picture, right? So to me, what that means is it's the flexibility of a lens. In our society, lenses, cameras tell stories. That's why we love movies and we love TV shows so much because they're able to tell a story. And the only way that they're able to tell that story is by zooming in and zooming, zooming out in time and space, right? From the past to the present to the future, and also from what's near us to what's far away. And that's just a huge ability. And if you look at some of the the preeminent people who've changed how we live, whether it's Steve Jobs or, you know, Bill Gates from Microsoft, or it's, you know, a number of other people, Jeff Bezos comes to mind. But if you look at people in society and history who've made great strides towards pushing mankind forward, one of the things that you'll see is their ability to think inside and outside of the box, right? To go from the micro, which is the microscopic, the things that people can't see without the aid of equipment, to go to the macro, the big picture that's usually too big for all of us to put the pieces together. So when I see people who can do that, it really, really gets gets my attention and my respect. So without further ado, I'd like to bring in our, my special guest today, Dr. Don St. John. Welcome, Dr. St. John. Thank you. Thank you for generous introduction. I am excited to be here with you, Dr. David. Absolutely. Hey, welcome, welcome. And as our, our, our listeners know, the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast, even though I talk about a lot of things and I've spoken about or we've chatted about and conversed about a lot of things during the past three seasons, you know, I love covering things that I haven't talked about as much. And so, you know, Dr. Don St. John has a PhD and he's an author of a book, Healing the Wounds of Childhood and Culture, an Adventure of a Lifetime. And, you know, I just can't say enough about how excited I am to have him, even though it's from a distance from Salt Lake City, Utah, where it's about 50 degrees colder from what I've heard than it is here in in Atlanta. So welcome again, uh, Dr. St. John. It is a pleasure for, for myself and my listeners to have you here. And I'm so glad that you're willing to share your time with us today. It's my pleasure. So let me share... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So let me share a little bit about Dr. Don St. John. So very early on in his educational career, Dr. St. John realized that the box of traditional psych, uh, clinical psychology and psychiatry was too small to hold all of the tools and concepts needed for his healing. And I can tell you right there, that just, to me, that's one of the reasons why I kind of got the macro versus micro thing, because he mentioned the box, inside the box versus outside of the box. And also the flexibility of realizing the importance of traditional things and knowledge, but also being flexible enough to look outside of those things, right? And also the use of the word healing. And I use, I love that word because to me, healing is a word or heal or healing is a word that encompasses more about the human condition than words like medicine and health. It really does. 
health and healing to me go together. In addition, Dr. Don St. John has been forever grateful that he searched outside the box. Over time, he encountered not just tools and techniques, but different schools of thought, both novel and derived from wide-ranging sources, which to me, again, says something about his flexibility and his ability to consider different discourses and different philosophies and different thinkings and ponderings on life and how it occurs. Decades of exploration led him to construct a view of healing, purpose, and human potential that includes four essential and interrelated components. The somatic, the body, the psycho-emotional, the relational, and the spiritual. And it's with that that we're going to get started today. I'd also like to share this. As a psychotherapist, teacher, author, and teacher in the Christian Ayahuasca Church, Dr. St. John has also been immersed in the psychological, somatic, relational, and spiritual worlds for more than 50 years. And I love that part about relational and spiritual worlds because I, I do believe in the concept of the spirit. As you know, I have a self-improvement book that's titled Sweet Potato Pie for the Spirit, Soul, and Psyche. So there's a reason why spirit, soul, and psyche are all mixed in there in that title. As a child, Dr. St. John endured years of intense physical and verbal abuse in his Italian-American Catholic home. He entered adulthood in a physically hypertense body, emotionally frozen, relationally retarded, and spiritually voided or void. This healing adventure of 50-plus years has resulted in a fulfilling marriage of 38 years or more to his life partner, the enjoyment of being in his body, which I love that. And you know, you guys know I did an episode on trusting your body. It's not lying to you about our connections to our body and, and our ability to trust our gut instincts and our intuitions. And then trust in his own abilities and instincts. The trust given him by others to guide their journeys, a love for life, and wonderment at a higher power. And I love that word, wonderment. So with that... I, I, again, welcome Dr. St. John, and I look forward to learning from you today. Thank you. Thank you. You know, Dr. David, I was a very unlikely candidate to be a PhD, to be a psychotherapist, especially working in the style that I do, to be a fluid movement teacher. I grew up in a tenement project. Uh, there was a great deal of violence in my family, mostly directed towards me and my brother, no. but with a lot of emotional fighting between my parents. I left home two days after high school, never lived back in that area again. And wow. one day, age 20, I realized I needed help. I went to the Yellow Pages, found a psychiatrist, and that was the beginning of a journey that's been going you know, over 55 years. So here I am. Well, I'm glad you're here. And, you know, and that makes me ask the question. And I love asking this question because I think I learned from it. And it kind of reminds me of, of some of the trauma that I suffered in life and, and what led me to my journey of healing myself and to helping to heal others is you mentioned that at the age of 20 that you found yourself, you realized that you needed help or that you needed something and you reached for information on that. Can you, do you mind sharing what symptom or what thing, thoughts or feelings that led you to seek out help specifically? Yeah, it was very dramatic. One morning, about 5 a.m., okay. I woke in the back seat of my car, and I was bleeding from my throat. I'd been out hooping and hollering and drinking from about 5 p.m. until, oh, I don't know, 2, 2.30 in the morning, and with some friends, and fortunately, I didn't drive home because I was in the back seat. And they you know, just left me there, and uh, that's when I knew I needed help. And the psychiatrist I found was a psychoanalytically 
oriented psychiatrist. I became interested and started reading. You know, I was fortunate to have sufficient intelligence to follow my interest in, in that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, while I was in graduate school, I realized that talk therapy alone was never going to be enough on who had been as highly traumatized. And that's when I began exploring body therapy. And when it went from there. You know, I love that. I love that. And, you know, even though a lot of my listeners know this, you know, some people don't know this is, you know, one of the big reasons why I started the practices and I have several practices, but one of the reasons why I started the practices that I did and I do the things that I do is because I didn't see it magnified out there in the world. And my practices are styled after, you know, Sigmund Freud and Milton Erickson they're psychoanalytic in nature. I use hypnosis. I use hypnotherapy, things like that. And I've always based my practices off of the tenant that talk therapy alone and pills alone aren't going to solve the vast majority of problems. And part of finding solutions is helping the person who needs healing find their journey. And that's kind of what I got from reading the introduction and bio about you is that you somehow were led to a journey and that journey was about finding yourself and finding healing. Would you say that's true? I would say that's true. You know, I, I never shied away from trying something that I thought would be helpful Two of the, in the somatic area, two of the most important disciplines that I encountered were structural integration, also known as Rolfing. There's also Heller work, structural integration, okay. two other names. But it was the work of Ida Rolf and Continuum. And Continuum is based on the biological fact that we are some 65 to 75% water. Yes. By volume. And the question is, how does water move? Yes. And can participate with that movement and become more fluid. Love that. I'm in, I'm in my 80s and I'm finding myself becoming more fluid. Wow. I would have never guessed that you were in your 80s. Would have never guessed that. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. I would have never guessed that. Friends. You know, the funny thing about it too is I have a, a diet, nutrition, health, wellness, and weight loss book. Uh, I call it just kind of a lifestyle human book. It's called The Nutrient Diet, and it's the first book of its kind. It's fifty percent, you know, diet, nutrition, physiology, metabolism, all those things, and it's fifty percent the psychology of why we make the eating choices and nutritional choices that we do and how to change them. And the funny thing about it is. When I was deciding how to start that book out, I looked at the human body and I said, we are water. And that's the first chapter of my book. So I love, and I didn't even know that about you. So it's so funny that that synergism comes in because you just said the same thing that I spent a chapter in my my diet nutrition book, The Nutrient Diet, talking about is, is how we're water, how we are fluid, and how that has something to do with how we function and how we heal. I'm very excited because, you know, I'm hearing more and more people. There's even an institute called the Hydration Institute. Wow. And it's exciting to me. It's, 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 it makes me optimistic that more and more people are realizing how significant water is in our makeup and beginning to consider the implications of that. For example, you did in relation to to food and and diet and yeah my teacher did in relation to healing you know right because one of the things that trauma does is it disconnects our consciousness right from body right absolutely dissociation absolutely absolutely and and, you know and, and one of the things too is is I think it's not also a coincidence that when you ask people, well, what brings you peace? 
And a lot of times it involves water, taking a long bath, taking a shower, going to the beach, wading in the water, hydrotherapy, dancing in the rain, you know, you know, so when you start, when you look at it through the lens that you just brought up of looking at our connection with water and fluid, and you look at how we live, one of the things that you'll notice is that water and fluidity comes up over and over and over and over again. Yes. Yes. And that brings us to to one of the, the things. So, you know, I love learning from my guests and, and, and that's part of the selfish reason that I have some guests on my show is because I really want to learn. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, my listeners want to learn some of the things too. So, you know, one of the big things that I love about what I've read about you is, you know, your system, the system that you came up with that connects the, or differentiates and connects the somatic from the psycho-emotional, the relational and the spiritual. So if you would just give me kind of your short take on each of those four things and why it's important, starting with the somatic and then ending with the spiritual. Okay. Well, our sense, our very sense of ourselves is based in part, large part, or say significant part, by our connection, our conscious connection to our body, our right. ability, for example, to feel our back muscles, uh, our leg and pelvic muscles, okay? And, you know, losing or severing that connection diminishes the sense of who we are. Yeah. We, we feel smaller, weaker, less whole. So that's, that for me is a foundation, a grounding. Mm-hmm. And from there, of course, we go to the psychological, the emotional, all those conflicts, many of which are unconscious. Right. All, like, conflicts around aggression, conflicts around sexuality, core beliefs that are formulated before we're two, three, four years old, such mm-hmm. as I'm not good enough, such right. as if I get close to you, I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to get suffocated. So that whole area that psychologists typically traffic in, you know, our emotions, our beliefs, our behavior. And and then I, I think that the relationship area is important enough to be considered a separate component, to focus a lot of attention on what goes into a good relationship. Okay. And you know, going from that to a more macro perspective, I don't think our culture has reached the point of evolution where real emotional intimacy has become the norm. Right. I think it exists, of course. But it exists more on an individual basis and here and there. It's not across the board. Generally speaking, in my experience looking at this for decades now, most of us have have a lot of learning to do in the area of emotional and sexual intimacy. Okay. And then the the spiritual area. I think every culture, you know, known to man has had some way of relating humans to the cosmos. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm a great believer in the spiritual and psychological, intelligent use of psychedelics. Okay. And, you know, I, I believe that since my second year of graduate school. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can tell where that's headed. <laughs> it's 18, and now, today, yeah. in 2024, right. you know, there is so much. Yeah, I mean, there are college programs yeah. in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy, even yeah. though the state yeah. in which that college exists yeah. has yet to legalize it. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, I get emails every day from major major universities and research places talking about MDMA, 
how, you know, some drug is about to be approved based on that about psychedelic mushrooms that are used in trauma and persistent depressive disorder and things like that. No, it's I'm sure you're loving this huge bang, big bang and addressing trauma and things like that using herbs and psychedelics and stuff like that. Sure. It makes me feel like a prophet, you know? Yeah. I was talking about it 50 years ago. Right. Because it made an impact in my life. Yeah. You know, it just opened, you know, as Aldous Huxley said, the doors of perception. Yeah, true. True. And perception is so powerful, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's huge. I love how you connected those. So I want to jump in. So I know that we only have so much time today, and I I totally, truly appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. So I'm going to ask you, jump into some things that 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 I know are things that you've talked about and studied and helped people heal with, and then also things that I'm kind of curious about in terms of learning the things that you do and kind of incorporating some of those things and kind of how I pro- approach stuff. And, you know, just share as you will about these things. So one of the things that I know that you've spoken about or that you've talked about in the in the past is the social and political consequences of trauma. And I talk to, to my clients and prospective clients about that all, all the time because I urge people to get the help that they need. And a lot of times people will say, well, I can't afford it. And I and I tell them, I'm telling you, you can't afford not to because they don't realize the economic, social and other consequences of suffering in silence. And there's been so much research that's been done on the productivity and the economic costs of things like major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. What else? Schizophrenia? I mean, I could go down the list. But tell me a little bit about your thinking about social and political consequences of trauma and illness. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Dr. David, because I think I think the consequences are vast, very, very huge. And, you know, it's not exactly trauma. It's how we respond to trauma, because yeah. I believe to one degree or other, we've all experienced some type, even if it's simply, you know, life negating messages. Yep. So with that, I mean, if you look at some of the major, major problems in our world, chronic illness. Chronic illness, I talk about it in my book. I talk about how trauma compromises the immune system. Yes. And, you know, and from there, illnesses become more likely. Yes. Violence. Violence is almost always related to some kind of trauma. Yes. You know, people who grew up in a loving environment who received connection and care and attention and attunement typically don't become mass murder. Right. Absolutely. Violence. So, and addictions, another huge, huge problem. Absolutely. Anxiety, depression, relationship, distress. And, you know, some of the political stupidity and I'm not going to say <laughs> from which the other. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Right? That there's a great deal of political stupidity yeah. that, that you know, we, we don't just put our heads together and address what needs to be addressed. Rather, we engage in constant political warfare yeah. to gain upper hand you know, over the other side. So yeah. all, all these, because trauma does a number of things. And, and one of the things that it tends to do is it limits to the, the, the development of yeah. the part of our brain, the yeah. part of the prefrontal cortex that needs to be nourished to evolve capacities such as empathy, Self-regulation, yeah. 
huge. Yeah. The ability to reflect and see ourselves. You know, we we can't look at ourselves and and observe what's great about ourselves and what we'd like to change in an objective manner. And that gets carried out into the political reason arena. It's either black or it's white or, yeah. you know. So all these areas are touched by trauma and a lack of comprehension about what human beings need and who we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not have said that better. And, you know, as we sit here and chat about and converse about some of these things, obviously one of the first thing that pops in my mind is, you know, we've had enough problems in terms of human development when it comes to, you know, trauma and illness in terms of some of the things you mentioned, like self-reflection, self-regulation, insight, objectivity, comprehension, things like that. But now that we've got AI and we've got, you know, artificial intelligence, and now that we've got, you know, all these social media platforms and all this technology and all these things, you know, the first thing that I find myself wondering, and if, you know, if you've seen any of the stuff that's been on TV lately on C-SPAN and stuff like that about the social media platform heads testifying before Congress and things like that, you know, one of the things that, that I think is, well, are these social media platforms and AI and all these technologies, are those things going to help humanity with self-reflection and self-regulation and, and comprehension and compassion? And I'm not coming up with any positive answers, not from social media platforms and AI. I'm not. Well, let me give you my perspective, Dr. David. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in the long term, over time, humanity has been progressing. Okay. That our consciousness, I mean, you know, there, there's really very, maybe no time in history that humanity has lived in the level of comfort that we live now. Sure. Uh, as much access to food and I think one can make a very good argument that, in general, we've been progressing. That is true. But it's not linear. True. And, and as as that line of progression goes up, I think it zigzags. So, for example, yeah. you know, physics has been evolving and evolving, and then it learns to split the atom and we're dropping nuclear weapons in That's 1945 right. in Japan. Right, right. And maybe, maybe over the next 50, 100 years, we're going to make real good use of nuclear technology. Right. And, and you know, not be making more bombs, right. hopefully. Right. I think it's the same with social media and AI. Okay. I think right now, I mean, you know, kids glued to their phone. Yeah. And not getting out. We used to go and play. You know, we didn't contact each other. Right. Via anything. Right. You know, I used to go knock on doors yep. if I wanted to play with a friend. Yep. I'd go to his place, yep. knock on his door. But now, you know, it's a text. Yep. And the whole engagement might be by text. Yep. So that's that's detrimental and it's contributing to that loneliness epidemic. Yes. That the Surgeon General of the United States, you know, has has called it a, a major risk factor in disease. Yep, and suicide. And suicide, yeah, and suicide, and mental, emotional, physical health. So, yeah. What but do you? I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping that you know we can turn it around over the next thirty, forty, fifty years. 
Speaking of the the loneliness epidemic, and I love how you brought that out because, you know, as I'm sure you know, they did a, a survey, I believe a survey late last year, and 90% of, by the survey, 90% of Americans said that we're in a mental health crisis in this country. And a lot of it had to do with emptiness and loneliness, which of course, as you know, leads to suicidal ideations and suicidal intentions, suicidal planning, suicidal attempts, things like that. What do you think in terms of your thinking, in terms of the factors that are causing more and more kind of this or or contributing to the loneliness epidemic and some of the things that you think would help bring us out of it what are some major things that you think are at play in terms of contributing to it and also getting us out of it? Well, I think contributing to it is that as a whole, we have more leisure time. You know, when, when we had to yep. uh, go out to the farm, yep. you know, when we looked on farms and we had to work and milk the cows seven <laughs> days a week right and, you know we were engaged in survival yep you know, we were engaged in putting food on the table staying warm yeah you know, like that but but now and it may not be a bad thing that it's being recognized right it's being recognized. We we've shifted over the last seventy five years to a very urban, technological culture, yep. and we're recognizing that we're missing something. Yes, and I I think it's a precursor, and I'm thinking this for the first time right now. No, oh, wow. we're speaking. I'm thinking it's a precursor to a recognition and the initial steps to dealing with the fact that we don't quite get, understand, recognize, live what emotional intimacy is about. Wow. That's quite a statement. I love that. I, I yeah, I, I, it just came to me, you know, in response to your question that we need, in our lives, you know, at, it's Maslow's hierarchy, if yeah. you will, uh, or Eric Erickson's developmental yeah. state. Absolutely. We need to be able to take off all our emotional clothing, the the various personas and yeah. identities and subpersonalities. You know, we need to be able from time to time to remove all that and express the the depths of our heart to another person who can hear it and listen and meet us. I totally and, agree with that. Totally agree with that. You know, and I think in doing that, I think, you know, that kind of leads us actually to discovering who we are as people and our purposes and our passion and our journey and our true self, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I could tie it back in to everything we've been talking about before. Like if the body is shut down, hypertense or disconnected, fragmented, that process is much, much harder to affect. Oh, wow. Okay. There's, there's that relationship between the body and our emotional life and our intimacy. Right. You know, one of the things that, that, that I think about, and this is like one of the core concepts that clients who come to me discover, I've got, you know, two offices now, one in Decatur, and then I'll have a, a, another office in Buckhead, in the center of Buckhead which is probably like, you know, the most affluent area in and around greater Atlanta. And even though my office in Buckhead is a lot more posh, one of the things that I have at my office in Decatur that I don't have in my office in Buckhead is a whiteboard. And I love my whiteboard because 
that allows me to kind of explain the connections and to go from the micro and the macro when I'm helping somebody understand their journey, their symptoms, their healing, things like that. So, you know, it is an example if somebody comes to me and they have grief, then we work through their grief and, and we diagram it and we draw it and we show the connections and the variables and and then diagram it and those kind of things. And we do the same thing if somebody comes in with procrastination or trouble with decision making. We zoom in and we zoom out and we see the relationships between things. We dissect them. And then we start with a new foundation and we build from there. And, you know, one of the kind of things that, that kind of came to my mind, popped in my mind from what you had just said is, it's just kind of one of the bigger principles that I use in my office, which is the seesaw principle. And it's a principle about balance and equilibrium and how there are these kind of forces that make one side of the pendulum go up, the other side of the pendulum go down, and how we're constantly kind of in flux trying to balance those two as we ourselves change as well. And, you know, that kind of makes me think about, you know, one of the things that I was reading about you and how you talk about emotional intimacy and relationships and how relationships help reveal who we are and things like that. And also just kind of the balance or the the tandem relationship of kind of becoming closer to somebody and less close and just kind of zooming in and zooming out and things like that. I'm loving your your image of zooming in and zooming out more and more as you speak about <laughs> it. You're not reading its implications for me. I like that. So I think so about finding your true self in relationships yeah it is first of all first of all recognizing that's where the deep satisfaction is right that's where we that in that process of getting there right and the process it generally doesn't happen overnight exactly but in that process we can discover, you know, our challenges. We can discover how we like to present ourselves to the world. We can discover what we like people to think about us or of us. What it's like when we gradually, you know, disrobe. I like that image because, you know, there's a vulnerability in the human heart that we as human beings, build many, many, many ingenious ways to protect that from right. pain. And and often as infants, the pain is too much to handle. And so we we learn how to protect ourselves, but then we lose sight of that. It becomes an unconscious mechanism. And you know, the process of awakening is bringing to consciousness all those things that are, you know, lying there dormant, unconscious. And the relationship, I mean, you know, if you can't do it with any human being, go to a therapist. That's, that's why one of the reasons I think many people should go to therapy just for that purpose. Absolutely. Learn reveal their hearts without all the stuff in the way. Give you an example. I'm, I'm, we, we feel good? Volume-wise? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're great. Okay. Let me give you an example. Let's, let's say a person, man or woman, is a chief executive officer of a major company and, you know, spends his or her day making decisions, being direct, strong, clear, you know, to the point, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Decisive. And, excuse me? Decisive. That sounds like that sounds like the definition of decisiveness to me. Yeah. Decisive. Great, great qualities. Fits the job description. But then he comes home and meets his two year old. You, you see, I know where you're going. Now, <laughs> yeah, I love, I that, love, I love that analogy too. That ability, yeah, you know, that ability to take off the decisive, yep. powerful, direct yep. garment, absolutely, 
play with the two-year-old. Yeah. Or his or her partner is scared. Yeah. And needs reassurance to be able to drop into the vibration. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to emphasize that drop in. I love that vibration. Yeah. Because see, decisive, powerful has a particular vibratory quality. Yes. Appropriate to the boardroom. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. And it's that's where that fluidity becomes fair. It's another place that it becomes very important to be able to shift vibration. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Love that. I wasn't even expecting that, but I love that. I love that phrase. You need to coin that phrase. Drop Which in, one? drop into a vibration. I, I that 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 totally takes me. I, I've never heard that phrase that way, and it reminds me of the law of some of my beliefs about the law of attraction and just kind of how you vibrate with people and how people are in just different wavelengths and different frequencies and they connect. But I love that. I'm going to start using that phrase. You need to coin that. But dropping in, <laughs> dropping into a vibration. I, I love that. That that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I give it to you freely. <laughs> no, I I love that. And and one of the things that I think that you just kind of hit on, which is a strong belief of mine, is the and 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 I now that I look at some of the topics that you that you're an expert on and some of the topics that you help your clients with, you know, one of the things that I keep noticing is is the concept of self. And I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I think I see a lot of people looking for or asking for in my daily work, you know, I consult in forensic and addiction psychiatry, but I also, you know, have my practices that are holistic in nature, just helping people from everything from, you know, ADHD to anxiety to panic attacks and panic disorder to, you know, ADHD and PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. But, I find a lot of people who come to me who are looking for direction or looking for insight or looking for an awakening or they're looking for a reset or a reboot or a restart. And when I think of those concepts, you know, looking for a purpose or looking for a direction or looking for insight or wanting an awakening or in need of a reset, I think of the concept of self. And I think of things like, or terms and phrases like self-discovery or finding your true self or creating yourself or revealing yourself. And all of that stuff to me kind of gets down to kind of the, the gestalt, I would say, of knowing who you are or knowing who I am or becoming who we are. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. And, I, you know, I think that's why we're here on Earth. Yeah. That's why we're here on Earth, to discover who we are. I, I think it's a process that involves a lifetime, if not more. Yeah. I'll just let hang there for a while, if not more. And I, I think I called it in my book, An Adventure of a Lifetime. Yes. And I don't think enough people yet understand it, but that's that people looking for insight, people looking for direction, as you just spoke of, I think that's what they're looking for. Yeah. You know, they're to discover you know, what they're doing here and how they can evolve and how they can uncover yep. more of essential, beautiful, lovely nature. And and I love how you use the word adventure. My dad is a is a minister, a Presbyterian minister, even though somewhat religious. I'm more spiritual than religious, but you know, to me they're kind of they're slightly intertwined. But I love looking at the 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 essence of words. And you use one of my favorite words, which is adventure. And when you split that word apart, you get two things: you're an advent. And I couldn't help but notice. That and so I love that the the fact that you use the word adventure because to me adventure just means your advent. Uh huh. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. 
Speaking of of your advent, before we before we leave, and I mean I've learned so much during this, I would I would love to have you as a guest again. One of the things, since this is a huge thing right now, I wanted to get your opinions and your thoughts about this before we wrapped up. But one of the things that I know that you're highly familiar with in your in your practices and your work is kind of resolving substance use disorders and addictions through emotional healing. And I love that connection because that phrase that I just said, resolving substance use disorders and addictions through emotional healing, it implies that emotional illness is the reason for substance use disorders and addiction. But I would, I would, let me, let's get your perspective a little bit about that topic, because I think it's huge now because so many people are presenting with addictions. And especially since COVID-19 and the pandemic, where people just are kind of inside all day and, you know, those kind of things, I think it's even skyrocketed. So what are some of your thoughts about that, Dr. St. John? I'm not sure I like the word illness, although it could be helpful for a lot of people. Right. To hold it as a as an illness, okay. I, I I think it's more of an attempt to like a misguided attempt to solve a problem, right? And it has negative consequences, okay. But I think that problem is the problem of isolation, disconnection, okay. uh, loneliness. You know, and I think that's the emotion. Look, you take something because you want to feel good or you want to feel better. Yeah. You feel, you know, you're feeling empty or you're feeling a certain ennui, boredom, or what am I doing here? Why am I here? And, you know, you take a substance and all of a sudden you feel better. And, you know, you get addicted to it, and it causes all kinds of trouble. And, you know, I I think the more we can recognize that we are on this earth to engage this process of discovering who we essentially, who we really are, and relationship is at the heart of it, you know, and that that understanding should hopefully will permeate our institutions our schools for example right they're not predicated on the premise that we're here to learn of who we are true and to be deeply in relationship with others and many of them want to get rid of philosophy departments too <laughs> sadly yeah. philosophy the arts the, yeah you know yeah and so i think you know like i was i wasn't addicted to alcohol because i'd get migraine headaches and the headache would keep me away from alcohol for at least three days <laughs> you know like I, I couldn't drink every day okay. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's really true or not. But Based off the metabolism of alcohol, it is. Absolutely is. Yeah. Depending on which metabolite, if you look at ETG, if you look at ETS, if you look at PETH, all those metabolites, then you're looking at three days. So that makes sense to me. It adds up. <laughs> well, it saved me because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't become an alcoholic, but I was definitely a problem drinker in my twenties. Yeah, sounds yeah. You said that is what led you to do it to a psychologist or psychiatrist, right? Yeah, because you know internally I just felt bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's even hard to put in words because you know it was a little different than depression, a little different than anxiety. It was these like these big holes where my being Our lost, then you know, yeah, like being, being lost. lost, like being lost in a, in a in a psychic wilderness. Wow, you know, and the funny thing about that too is is you know just kind of wrapping up is is you know one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you that about that is because I think 
we have a, a new addiction that hasn't been there. I guess it's been kind of there in in some degree, in some fashion. But, you know, you've got so many young people who are completely, completely addicted to social media platforms and their devices now. And the funny thing is the more connected they are to these devices and these platforms, the less connected they are to themselves, in my opinion, and to other people and to emotions. And I think that's I think it's going to be tough for society to come up with some solutions to that because you've got so many kids, you know, in surveys, you'll ask them, well, which one would you rather lose your younger brother or your phone? And and they pick the younger brother. And it's just like, what? Seriously. (laughs) And I mean, I'm not making, I mean, it's funny, but I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, there's some surveys, surveys that they've had and some research they've done where people, where kids felt that they would be more devastated by losing their device than by losing a relative or sibling. And I, yeah, I couldn't fathom. I couldn't have fathomed something like that as as a child that, who was born in the seventies. You know what I mean? I, I could never fathom something uh, like that. Yeah, that's you know, it's funny in its absolute fraction. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh my god, it's it's almost too much to believe. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's really sad. It's really sad. Well, I am so glad that we had a chance to chat and converse today. I've learned so much. And then I've learned a new phrase, drop into a vibration. I have really, really learned so much. And I'm, I can't wait to get feedback from, from the audience and other clients of mine who listen to this episode. It, this has absolutely been a treat to have you as a guest. And I can't wait to have you, you back on another episode to talk about and dive deeper into some of these things that we kind of uncovered today. Thank you. I'd enjoy coming back and continuing a conversation with you. You're Uh, fun to talk. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And with that, let's wrap up for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Don St. John, for chatting with us, for, for giving us some of the pearls of wisdom from your 50 years plus of, of, you know, professional healing, and therapy and things like that. This has really, really been a treat. If you wouldn't mind, can you share with listeners uh, and with me where people can find you, like your books, your websites, and things like that? How can people get more information about some of the things that we talked about today? Okay, my book, Healing the Wounds of Childhood and Culture, An Adventure of a Lifetime, can be found on Amazon or can be ordered wherever books are sold and on my website, which is www.pathofconnection.com. P-A-T-H-S-O-F-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-O-N. Pathofconnection.com. Awesome. Awesome. That is such a treat. And if people want to ask you a question about or dive in deeper or or seek you out for therapy or for anything in terms of getting contact and, and getting in contact with you, what's the best way that they do that? Is it by your website or is it by email yeah. or some other route? They can send me an email via my website. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much again, Dr. St. John. This has really, really been a treat. I wish you a fantastic and spectacular 2024, and I can't wait to have you back as a guest again. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Thank you, Dr. St. John. I've learned so much today. I've got a new phrase that I can use, drop into a vibration. I'm really excited about to get feedback about this episode. Everyone, thanks for being here for the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast, where we not only talk about problems, challenges, Uh, adversities and obstacles, but we also talk about solutions going forward. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. You guys have a great evening. Love you. Take care. Bye-bye.